Our sermon scripture today comes from Psalm 61, which can be found on page 478 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe seated. Well, good morning. Uh, different crowd than I am normally used to, but I'm sure that your pastor it was, it has been thinking the same thing this morning. You know, um, uh, as the crow flies, at least according to my uh, Google Maps, only 1.1 mile separate um, Baxter Avenue Baptist Church from Vine Street Baptist Church, where we meet. And there's this corridor, and I, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know your pastor, Mike. <clears throat> And we've just talked about this, and there's this corridor between our churches. And if you continue on um, into the city, sort of uh, beyond Baxter Avenue, about another mile or so, is Franklin Street Baptist Church. And uh, there's just this corridor uh, between you guys and Baxter and Franklin Street. Uh, and just uh, lots and lots of folks so desperately in need of the gospel. And uh, I, I just want you to know that we at Baxter, we are glad that you are here, that you are anchoring this end of that corridor, and uh, we pray for you often, and uh, really appreciate uh, pray, you praying for us. But um, this was an idea that your pastor and I came up with. We'll let you guys determine uh, at the end of the day <laughs> whether it was a good idea or not uh, to swap pulpits. <clears throat> But um, I am so glad to be with you this morning, uh, along with my wife, Dawn, and our dear, dear friend and sister in Christ, Safi. Uh, you have already, <clears throat> we've already read Psalm 61. Um, if you have your Bibles, there are a few Bibles, I understand. Uh, perhaps you want to turn there. Psalm 61, lead me to the rock. Now, we've already read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and the Apostle Paul reminds us that that rock that David speaks of is the same rock that Moses speaks of, and it, that rock is Jesus Christ himself. It's just amazing, isn't it, how all the Bible hangs together, and there's just this common thread uh, throughout the Bible. <clears throat> and we come to this Psalm 61. I don't know about you, but I suppose if someone were to ask me, uh, what is your favorite Old Testament book? I, I would be hard-pressed to answer. I love the prophets. I love Genesis. Oh, I could just go on and on. But there's something about the book of Psalms. Uh, when you think about Psalms, you think about David here. Uh, 
the psalmists over and over and over again share with us their experiences, their experiences and the sp- of highs and lows, triumphs and defeats, joys and despairs. And as we read their testimonies, uh, I tell you, the details, we, we get them, don't we? Because we've been there. We've been on those spiritual mountaintops, but we've also been in those deep spiritual valleys and all along the uh, way between the two. And so their experiences are our experiences. It's almost, the open book of Psalms is almost like looking into a mirror, isn't it? And time after time, page after page, we think, I certainly think, that's my testimony. I know exactly what he's writing about. I've been there, done that. I mean, isn't that your experience with the book of Psalms? So we come to Psalm 61, and we read here that this is a psalm written to the choir master with string instruments of David. These are the words of David, the great king David. And he tells us a couple of things here, I think, that are of great importance. Now, we'll not go through the psalm this morning verse by verse, but the psalm itself does lend itself, I think, to easy division. Verses 1 through 4, David tells us that he cries to God always, always crying to God. And it doesn't matter wherever he is. Uh, We we read this from David in other places, sometimes from the ends of the earth. Sometimes from the, uh, he uses these analogies, doesn't he? Uh, From the depths of the sea, from the heights, wherever he is, he cries to the Lord. And why is that? It's because he knows that the one to whom he cries is faithful. That's the first thing, first principle, first lesson I think we take from this psalm. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. And then there's a second lesson, and that is that David stands in this long line of men and women whose lives have been blessed by this faithful God and thus find themselves praising God as we will this morning. I know that you as a congregation, we remind ourselves at Baxter often of this. Though uh, through the years there have been challenges, there have been struggles, but looking back, oh my goodness, how faithful God has been. And we can just testify. Some of you, probably most of you know that old hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. It's good for us from time to time to pause, isn't it? And just reflect and remember and find ourselves praising and giving thanks to God. Well, let's look at this psalm. There in those first four verses, David tells us that he cries to God always. Wherever he is, he cries to God because he knows God to be faithful. David's heart is faint. He tells us that there in verse 2. He's struggling. Um, The the old King James translates that Hebrew word atof as overwhelmed. My heart is overwhelmed. One commentator has noted that this signifies the experience of being buried or drowned beneath a huge mass. Have you ever been there? 
Just felt like the cares of the world, the struggles of the world, the struggles of your own sin have just piled up on you so much that you're just crushed beneath the load and you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do. Uh, uh, the, the crushing. Um, we have seen this sort of a testimony with David before. Do you remember that great Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah and how David cried out uh, to God from the depths of his heart and asked for forgiveness? This is not new with David. The times that he ran from Saul trying to kill him. And how many times did his own sons attack him and try to kill him? This just seems to be a recurrent theme with David. He gets through one problem and then there's another. He gets through one crisis and then there's another. A lot of us understand this, don't we? We have walked in a sense, not exactly, but in a sense we have walked in David's shoes. David understands himself to be one who is desperately in need of help. You know, when we think about the gospel and we think about salvation, and uh, I've talked with your pastor, I've heard some of you this morning, uh, both in conversation and here from the pulpit, reflect, and, and uh, not only in conversation but in prayer, reflect on the joy of going out into the community, out into the neighborhood, and sharing the gospel. Um, I, I love to quote the old country preacher. Perhaps you've never heard him before. The old country preacher who said, you can't get a man saved till you get him lost. What does he mean by that? Well, until someone understands, until the sinner understands his need to be saved, he's not going to look for salvation. Until he understands that he is under judgment and wrath and condemnation, there's no great motivation for him to look for an answer, is there? But let him come under conviction, the deep conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. And what then? He begins asking. He begins looking. He begins running. That's where David is here. He knows that he is, whatever the situation, th this psalm could apply to any number of those situations in his life. But he's desperate. His heart is faint. And therefore he cries out, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Again, we understand, David, the storm. The storms, they blow us here and there in face of the winds coming against us. We might find ourselves staggering. The hail from the storm pelts and it stings our skin. It hurts. The sun burns our skin. The ants sting. The mosquitoes bite. Sometimes it seems as if not only our sin and Satan, but the creation itself is arrayed against us and stands against us. The enemy's arrows pierce, and worst of all, sin. And this is David's testimony in other places. Sin, it almost seems as if it breaks our bones and creates a deep anguish within our souls. When we hear David cry out, I call to you when my heart is faint, perhaps we think of someone like Job and his story. And we remember from that book 
There were those friends from Job 2.13 who sat with Job on the ground for a full week without saying a word since they could see the great extent of his anguish. Have you ever, have, have you ever been on either side of that situation? You know, um, you, you, you're the one suffering and your anguish is so great it seems as if no one can console you or help you. The heartache, the sorrow. Some of you have been there. But have you been on the other side of that also? And your, your dear friend or your family member or your, your, your dear church um, sister or brother, and you just don't know what to say. Sometimes there's nothing to say. Just to sit and be there. That's how deep Job's anguish was. It seemed as if there were no words that would comfort there was no action that could bring joy or peace. His anguish was so deep that they simply sat there with him. We might remember Esther when all the kingdom of Persia seemed arrayed against her and her people seeking to destroy them. And when informed of the plot to murder her people, from Esther 4, we read that she writhed in great anguish. There's our word again, great anguish. We might think of the Apostle Peter after he had denied Christ three times. And Luke tells us that he went out and he wept bitterly. When we read David's testimony here, we discover that not only is this often our testimony, but it has been the testimony of many saints down through the generations. We get this, don't we? We understand what David is telling us about his situation. And when we find ourselves in such anguish, when we find ourselves so despairing, how much we need to be wisely and compassionately steered into safety and peace, to a place of safety, a place of peace. And where is that place? David tells us. The rock. The rock that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He is our rock. He is our resting place. He is our solace. He is our joy and our comfort. And we learn to direct one another to him because we find in Jesus Christ not only the forgiveness of our sins, but we find all that we need in him. David wishes to be steered to the rock. Oh, the symbolism here is great, isn't it? A rock. Now, we understand that in the eons of geological time, and I won't, we won't get into that debate, but, but um, that rocks are worn down. But in our subjective personal experiences, that rock that's there before us, that rock that's in your yard, that rock that's in the way, it's going to be the same tomorrow, isn't it? <laughs> it's not going to change. Same tomorrow. But David, and David wishes to be steered to this rock that does not change. You know, the Bible says something about that rock. 
who changes not, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That rock who is our God, who is our Savior. David wishes to be settled upon, to be able to stand upon that rock, high above the storms, unbothered. Perhaps you've flown on a plane above the storms. And where all the turmoil is below you, but on the plane, smooth flying. Perhaps you've been on a very tall mountain, and you've been able to look down in the valleys, and you've seen the storms swirling. But there on the mountaintop, everything is calm and peaceful. And so, this is where David wishes to be, on the mountaintop, on the rock, unbothered by the storms. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the tempests, the storms roll far beneath at his feet, and he is unharmed and untouched. The rock. Jesus says something about building upon rock and not sand, doesn't he? I, I can't help but think of, um, uh, from my own experience, I think of those great river deltas in Asia, uh, there in Bangladesh, and um, just uh, the, 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 for miles, the, the soil is water-saturated, and it's just muck for miles and miles. Uh, the mountains of Indonesia, I mean, you, you can't drill through that rock. It's solid, it's not moving. Uh, I think of the uh, coastlands and the swamps, the low areas of the state of Louisiana. I've spent a good bit of time there. My wife, Donna, is from Louisiana. And I tell you, you get in those southern Louisiana marshes and that ground, you, you, you can't build on that unless you lay down pilings, drive them deep, deep, deeply into the ground until you find rock. It's amazing to watch them build there in the city of New Orleans. And these huge machines that just pound the pilings deeply into the earth to find rock. How different is the soil, the swampy areas of Louisiana, South Louisiana, as opposed to the Rocky Mountains of Colorado? David wishes to be settled upon that rock that is sure and certain. And so David, he lets us know that he has before found refuge in God. He tells us here, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. David's been here before. He's done this before. He has already tasted of God's goodness. Do you remember? Um, do you remember David after uh, there in the situation with Goliath, and how everybody mocked him, this little shepherd boy? You think you're going to go up against this this giant of a guy who's been trained as a soldier from the time that he was small, and with all of his armor? You think you're going to last a second with him? Do you remember what David's response was? He said, "I'm not afraid." He said, the God who has already delivered me from the paw of the bear and the mouth of the lion, you see, he's been there before. He's seen God work before. The God who has delivered me from those crises, he'll do it again. That's David's testimony here. 
Don't you understand? So many of us understand this, don't we? How many times has God delivered us as individuals, as families? How many times has God perhaps delivered this church? And so David says, you have been my refuge in the past, a strong tower against the enemy. And so what does he do? He finds himself running back to God over and over and over again. May I make an application here, a spiritual application? I think this is true uh, of a, a genuine believer of the gospel. This is an identifying trait of a true believer. Though we will see it. It's not true that in Christ we never sin. John tells us that. Anyone who says he's without sin is a liar and the truth's not in him. Already today, most of us could recount those sins of either commission or omission that already we've committed. And give us a little few more hours. And if you can't remember any, take a few more hours. By the end of the day, you'll be able to recall them. So it's not that we as Christians never sin. Rather that when sinning, we find ourselves running back to God and back to the cross over and over and over again. And why is that? Well, the prophet Isaiah tells us, let the wicked forsake his way, the Lord says, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardoned. This is the promise of the scriptures. Folks, this is the promise of the gospel. That those who run to God, those who run to Christ, seeking forgiveness, receive forgiveness. And so when we sin, we find ourselves like David, running back to him over and over and over again. Where else will David go? <laughs> He has nowhere else to go except to this God, to this rock. Do you remember Jesus on that one occasion asked his disciples when it seemed all the crowds had deserted him and he was wondering and he asked them, will you also go away? Do you remember how Peter responded? Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have nowhere else to go. Only to you. Do you remember the apostle Paul, his testimony there in Romans 7? Oh, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He had already testified, the things that I should do, I don't do. The things that I shouldn't do, I do. Is that your testimony so often? It's our testimony. Who will deliver me from? And what does he do immediately? He runs right back to the cross and to Christ. And he remembers that in Christ, there is no condemnation. That no power on earth or in heaven or in all the universe can lay a charge against God's people and make it stick because we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. And so what does Paul find himself doing? Running back to Christ over and over and over again. And so David's longing here is not merely to run to the Lord, but to dwell in him forever and ever taking refuge under his wings constantly and having tested, or I'm sorry, having tasted of God's goodness, he wants more. Many of you understand that, don't you? Having tasted of God's goodness, 
You just want more and more and more. This is David's testimony. Well, then there is this, much more quickly. David does not stand alone in these matters, but rather he stands in a long line of men and women whose lives have been blessed in the same way, by running to God, by standing on the rock. And out of those experiences, they find themselves praising God. David says here in verse 5, you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Wow. There are those who have gone before me, who have testified of the same things. David recognizes there are those who will come after him who will give the same testimony. David is not the first, nor will he be the last who testifies about God's goodness and God's faithfulness. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of some of these names, doesn't he? Do you remember that from chapter 11 of Hebrews? There's Abel, there's Enoch, there's Noah and Abraham and Sarah, there's Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, there's Moses, there's Israel, who by God's great power and faithfulness crossed the Red Sea and before whom fell the walls of Jericho, the writer reminds us. Wow. There's a prostitute, Rahab, who found God to be good and to be faithful. And the writer of Hebrews is not done yet, is he? There's old Gideon and Barak, even Samson. There's Jephthah. He mentions David. There's Samuel and all the prophets. Oh, David stands in a long line of those who have looked to God. We stand in a long line of those who have looked to God and found him to be good and found him to be faithful. Isn't that your testimony? And isn't that your testimony as a church? I know that at Baxter we have found this to be true. He has been faithful. And the one who has been faithful in the past, David would have us to know, he'll continue to be faithful in the future. Don't you believe that? In those hard times, in those difficult times, don't you believe that? He doesn't change. He's a rock. He's the rock. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so David knows. He just knows that God will hear his prayer as he has done so many times before and prove himself to be faithful in answering. And thus his request there at the end of the psalm for the king and the promises to praise God forever because he knows he's going to experience his goodness and his faithfulness. If I might close with a couple of quotes, the first one from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He preached from this psalm and he spoke about this shelter that David desires. And Spurgeon said, we may defy the hurricane, but all is calm under the lee of that towering cliff, under his wings. Everything around us might be in turmoil, but under his wings, all is calm. Alas, such is the confusion, Spurgeon continues, in which the troubled mind is often cast. 
that we need piloting to this divine shelter. And thus God has given us a psalm such as this. This morning, to remind us that there is this rock. To remind us that there is this shelter. To remind us that there are these wings under which we might find safety. To the sinner, still lost in his or her sins, here is the promise of forgiveness. Here is the promise of life to all who will turn from that sin and believe the gospel and follow after Christ as his child. To the Christian, the believer struggling against sin, here is the promise that God will provide strength to fight and to win that battle. To that one who is facing heartache and sorrow of the deepest sort, Here is the promise of shelter, of peace and joy in Christ. And we just have to, we have to be directed to that place over and over again, don't we? To that one. I'm old enough to remember the Edwin Hawkins singers. Anyone? Does that ring a bell with Ah, I have a brother back here. The Edwin Hawkins Singers. They took an old hymn by Philip Doddridge. Brother, I don't know if you remember this or not. But they took a hymn by Philip Doddridge, written, I think, in the 19th or maybe even the 18th century, and they reduced the hymn down to three lines that they repeated over and over again, and I believe had a number one hit. Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed my sins away. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed my sins away. The one who has washed away our sins remains the rock to whom we flee, the shelter under which we find safety, the ones, one whose wings cover us. And so, with David, with Peter, with Paul, and with so many saints from all the ages, we find ourselves running back to him over and over and over again. Because that one whom we found to be faithful at the beginning in forgiving our sins, we have found him to be faithful in all other things also. Amen. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. May that be our testimony. Our Father, we thank you for those who have gone before us, the great saints of ages past. We thank you for the words that you have placed in um, the mouth, the hands of one such as David, to write down his own testimony to write down his own prayers and requests that we might be encouraged by his words. And this morning, Father, we indeed are. 
we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may it be, Father, that if there is anyone here this morning who does not know him, that even this morning, having heard that there is a rock of safety, that there is a place of shelter, Father, from sin and from judgment, oh, Father, cause that one to run to Christ. Father, for those of us who are in him, just draw us back time and time again. And indeed, David's testimony is our testimony. You have been faithful in the past. We praise you for that and thank you. And we are confident that you will remain the same. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.